Hello, and welcome to Destigmatize. I'm here with Angelica Rivera. She is a fellow social work student and the co-lead of several student groups, including Black Women Social Work Coalition, Silver Peer Support Group, and the Graduate Students Association. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Yeah, of course. And you are... uh, you're the diversity rep? Yes, social justice and diversity rep for the Graduate Student Association. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. I was so excited. <laughs> so uh, I would love to start with your first experiences of either learning about or dealing with mental health issues. Yes, yes, thank you. Um. I think in my personal experience, I came into the mental health realm kind of late. Um, Based on my culture, I think mental health is not talked about. It's really stigmatized. That's why I'm glad I'm doing this podcast. Um, In the sense of we go through so much familial and ancestral trauma that I feel like we are told in order to be strong, we cannot talk about these things. So it wasn't until I went into undergrad that I really pursued mental health and really took an initiative and took it um, and made a conscious effort to really address that, not only within myself, but within the communities around me. So that was my first experience. And I think I had my, had my first panic attack um, in my senior year of undergrad when I couldn't finish an assignment and I procrastinated really bad. And I feel like all that pressure to be this amazing student, have these grades, it really, oh my gosh, it felt insurmountable. So um, that was my first experience of it. What types of things did you start doing in your community once you started learning about mental health? Well, first I started to address in a three-tier system. Like first, um, I am Afro-Latina, so I didn't really know, oh, I'm from the Dominican Republic, so I didn't really know about my people until I got older. There was a lot of anti-Blackness within my culture, so I think that was the first thing I did in addressing mental health, like, kind of, um, I feel like we are trained or brainwashed to think in the Eurocentric standard of our colonizers. And I feel like that was the first thing, releasing myself off that mindset. Don't get me wrong, I still have the identity as an American, so there are some customs that are still ingrained in me. And either fortunately or unfortunately, I cherish it. So that was the first part. And then the colorism as well. I am, I guess, dark-skinned woman. I'm always debating whether I'm brown or dark-skinned. I'm not sure. But it's also facing that and just also the fat phobia and like thinking about, oh, like I'm not the ideal standard of beauty that people see. Um, So within those two, I have spoken to people who have the same lived experience or do not know so much about it. Cause I feel like I had to teach myself that if someone doesn't know something, it doesn't mean they're a bad person. Sometimes you just have to talk to them about an experience they don't know about. And that's perfectly fine. Sounds like you did simultaneously were doing work 
with your community, but also realized that there was work that you wanted to do on yourself as well. What were the things that you started learning about in undergrad that kind of prompted you to start doing this work? Well, um, in undergrad, I was an English major. So with that, I thought that that was going to be my calling, how I contribute to the world, creating a book and like selling it to a lot of people. But then um, I was also heavily involved in organizations in undergrad. So when I had those interactions with people, I found that I really cherished it. But you know, the pressures of us English majors, they say, oh, you can't make an income. So I thought for a minute, oh my gosh, I like arguing with people. Let me go into law school. I don't know why I thought that was a good reason. And I went and I thought I could do the social justice work that I really wanted to do. However, I was there and I was finding myself, and it's funny, I was thinking about this earlier. Sometimes you know you have to break up with someone or something and it's not even something big that tells you that. It's like the everyday minimal things. So I found my classmates were talking about the legal field and I found myself in, uninterested. I was like, can we do anything else? I don't wanna talk about this. So. I think after I experienced sexual assault during finals week, because in law school, your whole grade is predicated on a final. There's no writing assignments. If you participate, oh, all of that, there's, <laughs> it's not worth it there. So when that sexual assault happened, I really, um, it's hard to talk about, but I feel like it gets easier, but anyway. When that occurred, I think I really started to see the job that I had before I entered law school, which was as a case manager at the Silverman School of Social Work. I found that I had to reflect back and I really enjoyed that work and I wanted to continue it. But I thought that I could do that in the legal field, but that was, I guess, an erroneous perception. So, once I got a year to collect myself, I was like, you know what? I want to advance my education in this field. And that's when I decided to apply for the one-year residency at NYU, Silverman, Columbia. Um, I got into all three programs, but I ultimately decided on NYU. Um, and that is where we're at today. So um, I hope that as a working student, I'm able to balance that. And now that I'm learning the principles behind what I do in my work, I think the work is becoming more grounded for me. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you decided on silver. <laughs> Thank you. I think that uh, you, you bring up something interesting about trauma and people experiencing trauma and how it changes them. And how it can push you in a different direction. Could you talk a little bit more about that? About what about experiencing trauma made you kind of rethink things? Um, and if I'm, if I'm mischaracterizing what you said, please let me know. Oh, no, you're not at all. I think when I think of trauma, I think of uh, before and after the incident. I think before, and I feel like it's also when we're younger too, before you experience these traumas, you think it's normal, I think in a way. And I feel like as you educate yourself more and you meet more people, you get to notice, hey, 
maybe that person telling me not to showcase my emotions and them saying it's burdensome, that is traumatic. That's toxic. Like I really had to, like I said, we get brainwashed into this sense of reality that we think it's okay to live like this. And I feel like after the trauma, you have to make a concerted effort to either let the trauma define you or move past it in a way that you could still honor, hey, I'm a different person now, but that person is worthy, even though I have experienced this trauma. So I feel like through a lot of efforts, whether it's through therapy, whatever way you see therapy, because I think a lot of people also think, oh, I have to go to a clinician. It could be writing, it could be speaking, it could be dancing, it could be weight loss, it could be weight gain. Like, you know, I think we also have to decolonize and destigmatize and also rethink what is therapy for us. Um, so I think that is what I think, like of trauma. You brought up a lot of different ways people can move past it. What worked for you? What worked for me was talking about it. Um, I grew up in a household where you couldn't talk about um, things because you were seen as the problem child if you did. And for me, I internalized that a lot and it made me become violent either with my words or with my fists. This mostly happened in elementary and middle school. So when I saw those methods weren't working and I still felt like a hurt child on the inside, I was like, oh no, I have to change the way I'm addressing this. So when I got more into my work with, you know, helping other people with their issues, it made me in turn reflect on okay, I have resiliency too. Like I'm telling my clients all of this. Why don't I believe this myself? I think it was a lot of affirming that within myself. Cause you know, at, at one point I did feel like affirmations and mindfulness was BS only because I didn't believe in it. So as I started to put that more into my daily practice, it became real for me. It became something that I actually valued. And I feel like until you believe your own hype, I feel like you're always going to be in the same cycle. Hmm. Could you talk a little bit about how you, you mentioned decolonizing mental health, which is something that's been brought up in a previous episode, but I think that's something that I could stand to learn a lot more about. Mm -hmm. Um, could you talk a little bit about what that means to you and how we can actually go about doing that? Well, um, keep in mind, most of what I'm talking about is from lived experience. I'm not an experienced clinician. You know, we're both working towards that. But what I've gathered thus far, both in my personal and professional realm, is that first, there has to be representation. And when I talk about representation, I'm not saying just putting a Black, a Latino, or LGBTQ face in there. That person who is in that space has to believe in those concepts because truly, I have met a lot of people who look like me and do not believe like me in the liberation of my people. So that's first. I think second, people really, 
when we mean decolonization as well, I think people place so much emphasis on research. And it's like, no, I think lived experience is just as valuable. And that's not something that can always be quantified. Don't get me wrong, the work might become more difficult, but that doesn't mean it's not worth it to explore. Um, and I think another way to decolonize is to stop thinking of marginalized groups as the problem to the big systemic issue. Why is it always, for example, why are black and brown people taking um, advantage of the welfare system when it's, why does this exist in the first place? Why are they in those pockets of poverty? Why are they in that space? So I feel like it's a lot of things, the way we think about it, because the government historically, they do not want to get involved when it comes to um, uplifting people who are in those spaces. So I'm working really hard in my limited time here on this earth. I'm working really hard to push for that. What are, what are some ways that you're working towards that? Well, first, um, in my professional realm, I am working, um, I'm bilingual. So that's one way I'm working on it. Really speaking to people in their Spanish language, if I can. If I know some native languages too, I try to learn that. Also keeping in mind the cultural norms that exist in different um, groups. I'm also helping people amplify their voices because I feel like I'm tired of people saying, I'm the voice for the voiceless. No, they have a voice, give them the platform. So I feel like I had a lot of mentors and people that pushed me to be in that platform. So if I have the opportunity to do that for someone else, I will happily do it. Um, and also, like I mentioned earlier, Let's be honest, higher education has its pros and cons, but it is the way to get your foot in the door. Um, so I feel like advancing my education is also helping me out in that endeavor because I found that while I am doing great case management work, I ran into a lot of limitations that only could be achieved, unfortunately, when I get my MSW, when I get my license. So that's a few of the ways. Just Oh, and I think the last one, and I feel like the most important one, reflecting on myself as a person and how I show up, because I feel like when you don't address your own issues, it's going to appear in the work and it might stop you from helping someone else out. Yeah. You brought up the importance of talking about lived experiences versus just relying on research and it's so problematic because research in and of itself is so much a product of a white supremacist system. So it's, it's kind of like, how can you trust the system that is built to promote white supremacy and is also telling you what the antidotes are for all these different things? You can't. So, I think that the work you're doing and, you know, talking about lived experiences and it sounds like the work you're doing is to help uh, empower other people to talk about their lived experiences as well. And getting more and more of those voices out there, I think is just going to be continually um, and increasingly important in this uh, idea of decolonizing mental health. Um, so I think that's, that's really awesome. Do you think that uh, 
you know, when I, when I think of decolonizing mental health, I think of how we talk about mental health and how it -hmm. just in general shows up differently um, in black and brown communities and other marginalized communities versus white, white communities sometimes. I'm wondering if you think that's true and if it is true, what are some of the differences that you, that you notice or see? I completely resonate with that sentiment and I'm actually writing my policy paper on that um, in the sense of black and brown people from a young age, the first system they encounter is a school system, for example. I feel like black and brown people are expelled and suspended in higher rates they are killed in higher rates and um, they could be 15 and can be seen as a full grown ass adult. And I feel like those amount of lived experiences that again is normalized in those communities. um, I feel like it goes to a greater issue that we have in our society. Like why is mental health not seen as a big public health issue in our communities? Why, Even like marijuana, for example, when people go to recreationally use that, it is seen as stigmatizing in our communities, but in white communities, it's like, oh, this is a new business endeavor. It's great for your health. So I definitely resonate with that and I agree there is a difference. And you see it even in the way that some clinicians and educators who are supposed to be anti-racist, and are not supposed to be oppressive, they um, perpetuate these ideas. And sometimes they don't even have to tell you. You could tell by the way they act with you and they look at you that they see you as a predator, as a, a nuisance. Um, I was talking about this with my mother the other day. When I was um, in school, I was playing with the kids and my hair, I have like 3C4A hair. I would come to school with my hair done. And then at the end of the day, it would be like a whole mess because I was playing with the kids. The teachers called her in to to ask her if there was something going on at home, like as if ACS needed to get involved over that. And those experiences really inform you as a young child, hey, I don't know everything that's going on, but I know I'm being treated differently. So um, I think to make a long story short, I think that from a young age, those ideas kept, kept, um, keep being perpetuated that the black or brown or any marginalized person, depending on how they see resiliency, they tend to either suppress that and think that that's them or lash out in either violence or nonviolent ways. Besides for what you talked about in terms of amplifying voices and getting more lived experiences, out there um and uh you know besides for tearing down the white supremacist capitalist structure (laughs) what can we what can we do to um what can we do to fight against fight back against that Mm, first i feel like um when we have a chance to be in these institutions i think it's important to question the why and the how I feel like a lot of us, and I see this in our classes too, please correct me if I'm wrong. A lot of us were paying to have this education, yet we feel 
and I don't know how to say this in a politically correct way, but I, some students, I get the sense like they're kissing the teacher's ass. And it's like, yes, that person has the power with the knowledge, correct? That is correct. That's why they're teaching us. However, I feel like it's not bad for you to question, you know, what is your take on this? Why did you express that point in this way? I think that's the first thing. Always be a curious person because I feel like regardless of the degrees I get, I'm always going to be a lifelong learner. And I feel like if you approach life that way, you're able to constantly redefine yourself and grow. So I think that's the first. And then also people talk a lot about support, but what does support really mean? Um, besides saying, oh, I'm going to share your page or I'm going to share your uh, initiative, put um, some money where your mouth is. Like, give in to, you know, money really talks. So if you see someone, for example, creating their own business or having their own initiative, any way you could support if you genuinely feel that way. That's the thing. It has to be genuine. If you genuinely feel like you, you want to support that person, please provide. Um, what's the third thing? Oh, see, a third thing is also holding close to your morals. I feel like, you know, if COVID hasn't taught me anything else, it has taught me, you really have to know your worth. And while there are many opportunities that we think we can't achieve due to past experiences and current resume, I feel like if you challenge yourself to um, think of yourself of that role, you wouldn't hold back as much. And I feel like you really have to fight for your salary, fight for the values the company holds, like really fight for that. Does that resonate with you? Um, so those are a few of the less big ways you can make contributions in a positive way towards that goal. Yeah, I love that. I'd like to go back to the topic of trauma. Mm -hmm. And you did talk about it already, but I, I want to go in a little bit deeper about um, what trauma feels like. Uh, because I think people who experience trauma, I mean, I, I see a lot of mental health stuff out there and, you know, on social media and things that get written up and stuff like that. And there's so much on depression and anxiety because that's kind of something that a lot of people experience to varying degrees. Um, and a lot of people experience trauma as well and traumatic events. Uh, but the, the feeling of trauma and its effects, I think maybe get a little bit lost in that in that world and overpowered by that the the talk of depression and anxiety and some of the more common or um e more easily accessible mental illnesses or mental health issues so yeah if if you could just go into a little bit more about what that is how you think about it what it feels like mm. no thank you for that um i'll separate it by physical and emotional um, I think physically, when you are dealing with that trauma, if something similar comes up, I think you get rapid heartbeat. Um, you, I notice this about myself. I do these things with my hands where I restrict into kind of a cocoon. 
And that's the thing. I don't even notice I do that sometimes. It's like subconscious. Um, I also notice, again, with the hand play, I play with my hands a lot when I'm nervous. Um, and I feel like all these physical manifestations of the trauma are ways to protect myself. Because I feel like when you do have that trauma, let's be real, a sense of power and you uh, a sense of power gets taken away and it gets replaced by shame because you feel like, how could I have reacted differently? Like if the onus is always on yourself instead of the person who committed the trauma. Um, and then emotionally, I think that would show up in like not trusting people. Um, Due to my trauma, for example, um, I lost a lot of friends. Uh, a lot of people I thought were friends um, because they couldn't understand. Let's be honest, when you're going through growth and you're in a dark place, sometimes you act like a trash or toxic person. So I'm gonna hold myself accountable for that. But I feel like sometimes people do not have the range to support you like they say they would in your um, purpose of becoming better, of healing. And I feel like the people who actually went through the trenches with me, I trust them a lot more now because we weathered through the storm together. Don't get me wrong, I still have some trust issues and that's something I have to work on my own, but I'm no longer projecting that onto other people. I think another way trauma shows up emotionally is that you are very wary of the systems around you because um, when I was trying to report my trauma, the police officer in question, he slut shamed me and victim blamed me. So I already before that didn't mess with the cops, but I didn't have a direct interaction with them. And then once I did, it informed my bias I already had for them, um, that one experience. So I think to answer your question, that's what I would sum it up as. That physical reaction, I think, I think a lot of people could identify with that, what you were saying, even if it happens on a much smaller level, because, and I just want to caveat this with, I don't really know that much about trauma and I haven't studied trauma, but when I hear people's experiences and the reactions that they've, they've had and continue to have, it seems to me very much like a, a very large spectrum. Even the things that we go through as children that maybe wouldn't typically be characterized as traumatic, we still develop physical responses to them that last throughout our life. You know, I know I experienced things as a kid that caused me to get very anxious and tense up in certain situations or have certain responses to things. And, you know, some people may or may not call uh, that experience traumatic, but for those, you know, listening and trying to conceptualize and understand what trauma is, I think that's an important point of comparison is if you can think about the responses that you have on a very small level and extrapolate that um, just as a point of understanding what someone else is going through, I think that could be really useful. 
Yeah, and I think you make a great point in the sense of, and I tell my clients this all the time, um, you have to stop letting people tell, it, tell you that your responses and the way you think is not valid. It is valid. Um, and, you know, if someone loves you and someone, like, cares about your journey, I feel like, yes, they will hold you accountable to, hey, you said you were going to make these changes. You know, let's do it. But I also feel like, like you mentioned, you don't have to have this great reaction to show that you need mental health support. Like you could access support at any level. And I feel like depending on when the person is prepared to seek out that support, because that's another difference too. Um, you have to be ready to accept some of your faults, but also accept, you know, when do I need help? When, what can I seek support? Because like I mentioned earlier, we all have built-in resilience that we should tap into. When, that's why I hate the word save. We got to save them. We don't have to save them. Like they already have the power within them. Even the word empower, I'm like, ugh, I'm conflicted about that. So I think, oh, to answer your question earlier about how else, I feel like there has to be more services out there aimed at specific communities because, for example, a black trans woman needs a different level of support than a white trans woman, for example. There are so many different complexities within that community. And it's the same thing with black sexual assault survivors compared to white sexual assault survivors. Like, and I feel like because people are not taking care of those little intricacies, it's taken away from the work and the progress the person could be going towards. Yeah. And that requires so much education, so much uh, time and commitment to understand those differences. And I personally think that they could do, and I know we just started, but <laughs> I still think that they could do a lot uh, better of a job talking about those things from the beginning mm -hmm. in school. Mm -hmm just to share that experience um, from someone who's actually like going through the place where you do learn about those things. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they could, they, could, they could do better for sure. I don't know, do, do you, are you aware uh, or do you feel comfortable talking about those specific intricacies? I know there's like a lot of education there, but um, yeah, if you have like anything to say about that, uh, I would love to hear it. Yes, yes, yes. Um, for example, I think we were talking about this with politics, right? And the Latino community is not monolithic in the sense of within the Latino community, there are certain traumas that Dominicans have to face that's different from Mexicans. And it's like, the whole topic of immigration how do you touch upon that while giving justice to everyone you know i think we all know that it is wrong to separate families um and i feel like the criminalization of immigrants especially you know there's a strength in the way they came to our country that doesn't get recognized because it's by quote unquote illegal means so i feel like one way 
is language and culture to be implemented in the work. Um, another way, let's say, let's focus on another community. Um, black women, right? We, there's this saying that we're at the bottom of society, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I feel like there is a lot of stigma towards the pain that we reveal that we feel. There was a study that I read once that even in hospitals, when a black woman says she has this symptom, she gets told she's dramatic. They don't say it, but the way they prescribe medicine to you and prescribe the way you should treat that, um, I guess, harm that was done to you, it gets told in such a different way, such a lack of sensitivity. Um, what else? I think those are the two big ones that come to my mind only because I want to do a lot of work in immigration and um, black empowerment. So those are the two that most resonate with me. So I think that's the ideas I have right now. But yeah. No, that was great. I think that was, that was really insightful and um, informative. Uh, we are, that went by quickly, but we are starting to approach the end. So. Oh, I know. I can stop all day. You keep going. <laughs> You're so comfortable. You got like the therapist voice already. Okay. Oh, good, good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> do you yeah. what? What? Uh, what advice do you give to? Well, I'll stop there. What What advice would you like to give in general? Um, it could be to any specific yeah. group of people going through any specific thing. Well, first, um, I got three pieces of advice. I'm trying not to be greedy. I'll make it short. No, to talk as long <laughs> as you want. Thank you. The first piece of advice I would give is that follow your intuition. And what I mean by that is your body tells you what you need to know already. And sometimes we ignore it. For example, when I had my first day of law school orientation, I knew it wasn't for me. Compared to this year, when I had my first year of social work school orientation, I felt so at home, I felt with family, and I had a good feeling that I was going to be with great people and we would be so passionate about the work. Like, it wasn't forced, it was natural. And like, I remember that first day tearing up because having that realization really saved me from potential depression, potentially living a life of, lack of fulfillment, I think that is the scariest thing, to live life passively instead of actively, like being really in your life, like you're just existing. So that's my first piece of advice. Um, and second, surround yourself with people who don't make you feel like a burden, who love you. And I know it sounds corny and trite, but despite flaws and all, because I feel like when you are with the right community. I think it goes with the intuition thing. When you are with the right community, you feel at home. You don't feel like you have to perform. You feel like it's just natural. These are my people. Um, and then third, really, 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 listen to your own cues and know when to seek support. And I mean in terms of, like I mentioned, different forms of therapy. 
and really find what works for you because a lot of people have told me in life like oh you need therapy but it wasn't until i was ready to go on that journey that i really took full advantage of that experience like i was like okay i'm able to see where i can be better in certain areas and also how can i not repeat these mistakes how can i grow as a person and i feel like when you go on that journey you're in you're in turn able to forgive yourself for times that you have let yourself down so yeah that would be my three pieces of advice <laughs> that was beautiful thank you is there anything else that we didn't get to that you wanted to mention or talk about oh yes when the semester is over thank you for having me here by the way when the semester is over i actually do want to launch my own podcast mental health would be one of the topics but it's not centered around it but it's coming from a black woman experience i'm going to have my best friend on the panel as well and we're going to be on youtube spotify and apple podcasts but yeah, so if you want to see us visually, you have that. I already bought my equipment too, so that's why I was like, oh. Um, and the sound thing too. So I'm just waiting for the semester to be over because it is crazy out here. <laughs> Working on my finals. You already know, Adam. Um, and yeah, that, that was my last little plug promotional. Absolutely. I'm really glad you shared. And I obviously will be here to support you in any way you need. Thank you. Cool. Well, thanks again so much, Angelica. It was truly a pleasure. Thank you, Adam, for having me. And if you want me back, I'll come back anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Once I, if I get to the point where I can start repeating guests, you'll be the first one to know. Oh, thank <laughs> you. I love it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Angelica. Thank you.